0: hey 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 diet riders welcome back to the diet ride podcast i'm Alyssa miller and i'm brooke miller we're both dietitians both moms both from the midwest both live in denver and still quarantined, still still on Zoom calls. <laughs> Although we did go on a hike together yesterday, and that was super fun.
1: We did; that was really nice. Um, and today we have a special guest: we have Melissa from Single Mom Nutritionist joining us, and we're going to kick it on over to her to introduce
0: herself and talk and a little. Say about her the- own last name because we're not even going to. Yes, try.
1: I'm not going to try. <laughs> nope, exactly. <laughs>
0: So, Melissa, if you can just introduce yourself, say your own last name, and let us know who you are, what you do, and how you became an intuitive eating dietitian specifically. Uh, let us know.
2: Sure. So, hey, everybody. My name is Melissa Vasikowskis. i a registered dietitian. Wait,
0: slow that down. <laughs> Vasikasis?
2: Vasikowskis.
0: I'm not even going to try to do that again. It's beautiful.
2: Thanks. It's really not that hard if you just try it, but, but it's okay.
0: (laughs) You know, Brooke and I are both Millers, so that's really where it's going to (laughs) stay. Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. Sorry.
2: No, no, that's okay. But, um, yeah, like you said, you can find me on Instagram at single.mom.nutritionist. Um, so I've been an RD now for about three years and I guess, um, you know, I would say that, that, my own journey on intuitive eating kind of led me to this place so while i was in college for nutrition i was also pregnant and up until that point i've have always kind of had a wacky relationship with food myself um yeah i I struggled myself with with dieting and and kind of being obsessed with food and then when i got pregnant i said to myself, I said, okay, I'm not going to be counting calories anymore. I'm not doing any of this because I was so nauseous that I, I just couldn't control what I was eating. I was just trying to eat whatever I could eat when I could eat it. And I kind of just took on this attitude. Like I'm just going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want to eat it, because that's all I have the capacity to do right now. And mm-hmm. to my surprise, um, my life became so much less stressful without all of the counting and the dieting. And after I had my daughter, um, I obviously was so busy, as you guys, as you girls know, um, just super busy with a brand new baby that I kind of never went back to the dieting life because it was just so much less stressful that way. And to my surprise, um, I didn't gain like a hundred pounds like I thought I was going to do when I quit the diet life. Um, I was so much more in tune with my hunger and fullness. And I was able to really trust my body and start listening to it. And then while I was going through that, I was also going to school for nutrition. So, also learning on a microscopic level what nutrition was doing inside of our bodies. So, I, throughout that process of of kind of um, stumbling upon intuitive eating without it, without knowing that it even had a name for it, coupled with my now becoming educated on the topic, I, I developed this newfound sense of appreciation for nutrition that those two things happening together kind of just changed my whole outlook on food and body. And that's kind of where I am today. It wasn't until I became an RD um, and then I kind of stumbled into the Instagram world that, that what I had gone through actually had a name and it was called intuitive eating. And I said, oh, other people have gone through this too. Look at that.
0: Mm -hmm. Isn't that so cool? Brooke and I actually have talked about that a lot. And especially in my intuitive eating journey, I had just started intuitive eating right before I got pregnant with my son and same exact experience. Like when I got pregnant, it was like, okay, you kind of give yourself that unconditional permission to eat foods because you're pregnant. And uh, I mean, it's really sad, but why that is that we like give ourselves that permission when we're caring for another human, but not ourselves, like Mm -hmm. how just like representate rep, whatever that word is, (laughs) (laughs) representative of our life and culture that we have to like, we can do it for someone else, but not for ourselves. But really teaching that outside of pregnancy, outside of momming, outside of anything is so, so important. So that's actually a huge part of my story too and how important it is to get this down pat before you have kids, before you move into that stage of life that everyone and their sister tells you your life has to be 100% about your kids. You're like, no, I can take care of my own needs too. (laughs) I can really take care of myself. So, and I loved what you said about you didn't know it had a name? Because I think a lot of people can feel that. Um, I know for me, it was like a sigh of relief. When I heard intuitive eating and what it meant, I took a deep breath like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been waiting for. I didn't know it existed. Like, thank you. Thank you for teaching me about it. Thank you for finding it. Like, this is actually how I want to live my life. I just didn't have permission before, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I know. I feel like it was crucial to work on. And I, I probably started it years before I got pregnant. Um, but it just made pregnancy and postpartum, it made that aspect of it so easy because like, I didn't really look at the scale and I didn't care about what my weight was. And even after I had my baby, I like never weighed myself. And my just concern was to feed him and to feed myself enough. Um, but I think had I not worked on that for years, literally years before I got pregnant. I, I just, I can imagine where I would have been if I would have gotten pregnant five years ago and not worked on that, where I would have been postpartum. I think I would have been so stressed about working out enough and burning, you know, X amount of calories. And I know I would have been. And so just to all you moms out there, especially like if you want to be a mom or, or haven't had kids yet, like this is the perfect time to work on healing your relationship with food and body. Um, it's never too late. I mean, we have women in our membership who are, you know, have grown kids, and that's that's great too. So there's never a bad time to do it. But I would say it will make that aspect of pregnancy and postpartum just a tad easier if if you know you start working on this beforehand. But
0: for sure, um, I, love I mean. Your- so much like your body changes, you get stretch marks, you grow, you get bigger, your clothes don't fit. Like, mm-hmm. this is all just a part of pregnancy. And if you, if that's triggering for you, if that's going to cause like some sort of internal messaging and issues alongside that, like, think about how amazing it would be to feel free around food and free in your own body and feel p- at peace rather than like, oh no, I can't eat that. When, like Melissa said, when you're nauseous, the only thing you can eat is like carbs, right? <laughs> so, <Yeah>. if <laughs> carbs and sugar are demonized and then you're pregnant and you can't, eat like you literally cannot stomach vegetables without throwing them up if you have like that food police in your head being like oh you're being bad you're being bad you're being bad and then all the pressure culture puts on us to like lose the baby weight right away right like all the celebrities who walk out of the hospital looking like they've never even held a baby let alone birthed one and it's just crazy what's out there so I love that part of the story um Melissa do you so you work with clients one-on-one correct and a group too Mm
2: -hmm. I got both going on right now
0: (laughs) oh yeah. yeah and do you find most of your clients? Are they single moms as well?
2: Some of them are um, not all of them. A lot of them are married. And actually I also have a lot of women in their mid to late twenties who aren't moms um, Mm -hmm. at all. And they've come to me and said, you know, um, I actually even have one client right now who is recently married, no kids. And they come to me and say, I, I want to heal my relationship with food before I have kids, because I realized that this could be a potential problem. Um, -hmm. so
0: that's, yeah, nice. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love, I love your Instagram because you, and we're going to get into this for sure. You guys, um, Mm -hmm. this like tough love approach, strong, independent woman. Like I just love the way that you show up on Instagram and who you are. And obviously who you are on Instagram is who you are in person. And it's just so cool to see. And I think people really flock to that. And there are certain people for sure, That resonate with that message of like, hey, I can take control of my life right now. Hey, I can do this right now. I'm going to stop throwing myself a pity party. I'm going to stop like being the victim. I'm going to like pick up my life and move forward. And how can I do that in the best way? Can you talk a little bit about your coaching style specifically? And even like the way that you are on Instagram, just like really giving people the information and not really coddling them, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, that's kind of how my life has been i've always been the kind of person who you know something goes wrong i just get right to the heart of matters pick myself up and keep going and you know intuitive well i should say when we have a damaged relationship with food it's because of a reason right like it doesn't come out of thin air there's a reason there's something deep down underneath there we have to dig to the heart of matters and bring it to the surface and deal with it so that we can get over it and move on um so Mm -hmm. My first session with with a client, I'll do like a, a dietary rec- recall, nothing crazy, no specifics. Like I don't count calories or anything. I kind of just ask to get a nice big picture of what they're eating is like on a regular basis, um, weekdays and weekends. And I can see the very obvious holes, where they're going wrong. Um, or I should say what's leading to their binge restrict cycle. So we just come Mm -hmm. up with ideas together to kind of like load up their day with much more food and I send them on their way. And then as they go and do this, all of these things come up, right? The the food police comes Mm -hmm. up, the anxiety comes up. Um, we talk about very quickly, right? My mom was making a comment about this, right? Okay. Boom. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Let's get right into it. Um, and just, I, I, we get right to the heart of matters really right away. So typically the second session is, okay, tell me about your childhood. What was the eating style like in your childhood? Did you have siblings? Did you, were foods um, hidden? Were certain foods forbidden? What was the dinner table like? Did you have older siblings who ate everything and you felt a sense of food scarcity? And this all comes up very early in the beginning. Um, and I, I I joke and say, I always say, I'm not trying, I'm not going to try to make you cry, but it's probably going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's emotional. It is emotional. Food is so
0: emotional. It yeah. is,
2: yeah. I mean, like I said, these things don't come out of thin air. Our hangups about sugar and carbohydrates and whatever it may be, um, these we weren't born with that, right? It was learned. And, mm-hmm. you know, I call it like, a, it's almost like little micro traumas that we, that build up over time. So like when we think of trauma and traumatic events trauma happens on a scale right so you have like super traumatic events you could think of like getting into a severe car accident or like fighting in a war like those are and then we have all the way down on the other side of the spectrum there's things like micro traumas right so little things that we might go through like a baby let's say let's say a baby is nursing um from from his mother every day and then all of a sudden overnight the mother decides to stop nursing and now this baby you know uh, the baby this isn't going to affect the baby for the rest of his life but the baby was used to having the breast every day now all of a sudden mom takes it away so this is a little bit of a micro trauma that the baby deals with over time um Mm -hmm. so and then There's all different kinds of traumas in between on that same spectrum. Everything from that baby example all the way up to fighting in a war. When we're sitting at a dinner table as a child and we have our parents making comments about the food choices that we're making, making us feel certain ways, these are examples of trauma that's happening somewhere on the spectrum. And over time, this is accumulating um, throughout childhood, adolescence, into then- Early twenties, even and and beyond, right? So when we leave our childhood homes and then we go out into the world, that same type of mentality is reflected every day. Up to to question it, we never stop to question. Hey, like, was the things that my mom used to say to me about my body and my food choices were they wrong or were they right? We never question that because out into the world, our culture reinforces those same messages because. After until you, I don't know, stumble across one of our Instagram pages where you might reflect and say, hmm, maybe, maybe it wasn't right the the way that my parents talked to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I could not agree more, (laughs) literally could not agree more. It's so true because I mean, honestly, and we're not going to put like all the blame on our parents, of course not. And this is like anything with trauma, right? Like you don't have to blame anyone to get over your trauma, but you do have to take a step back, take your emotion out of it and truly see what that trauma did to you as like an independent factor, right? Like be a little bit more objective. But when we look at parents, and this is exactly why I started Mama and Me RD D two, is to teach parents how to parent around the table especially specifically with food, so we can hopefully reduce the damage like that our speech does or language does or our diet and culture does to us and try to kind of like arm them up against diet culture that's going to come, right? They're going to go to school, they're going to go off to college, they're going to get a job, they're going to be around their peers. And they're not going to be like, sheltered from it forever. But that's truly the only way that we're going to stop this is stop teaching our children to accept it, right? (laughs) And actually like deny it completely. So I could not agree with you more. And I think it's just so wonderful to have you in this space. And Brooke and I obviously resonate with you so much because we're pretty blunt. And like, we're not gonna like sit around and be extremely political correct, politically correct. Like we will try not to offend you and hurt people, but we're also going to be real with you and not coddle you and make you feel like, okay, let's just sit in your trauma and continue to relive it for years and months and months and months. Now, some people might have to do that. And this is exactly why there's different therapists out there. It's exactly why there's different dietitians out there. You need to find someone, and Brooke and I have talked about this all the time with therapy. You need to find someone that works with you and not against you. Doesn't make things worse or inflame things, but actually helps you. And like you said of like, I'm not going to try to make you cry, but it's probably going to happen. Like I know that this might be painful for you. We're not trying to make it painful, but you can't avoid the pain. You have to go through it, right? Or at least I think that's our mentality as the three of us at least, is like you have to work through the pain, not try to avoid it. And honestly, that's why cope with your emotions without necessarily using food is one of the principles of intuitive eating. It's like, hey, you need to figure out a way without using food to handle your emotions and your stress and your anxieties. Because so many of us are so focused on using food because that's what's put in front of us all the time in culture. So um, I just think that can be really powerful. And the fact that people can have control over their life again, and not feel like food is controlling them, and actually step into a place of like, "Hey, I I get to decide. I get to listen to my own body. I get to make these decisions," which is really powerful.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very empowering when when people yes. finally understand what that feels like. It really changes your whole life, and and the body image aspect really goes hand in hand with the food aspect. They go together. Um, so that's just yeah another point. And and you said too you. Um, you know, we can't blame our parents for everything. And of course not. It's not their fault that they also grew up in the same culture we grow up in. And I always remind my clients, like, listen, we're not here to talk smack about your mom and dad. There's no mm-hmm. doubt in my mind that your mother and father loved you. Um, yep. They were just operating within their capacity of understanding. And, you know, we we all get got the same message from diet culture we all continue to get the same messages from diet culture that if you are in a larger body you are not worthy of respect or dignity you are stigmatized against these messages are reinforced in our culture over and over so when we have a parent who is is viewing or watching their child eat maybe too much of something, um, or their child is gaining weight and the parent gets triggered, what their par- the parent is trying to protect the child from totally. these, these messages of diet culture. The, the parent is trying to pr- protect the child from being disrespected, from being bullied, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and the mm-hmm. way that the, our parents thought to do that was by making us feel certain ways about our food choices or our bodies. And I tell all my clients, like, I just put it flat out there. I said, what your parents should have done was teach you how to be confident, how to be sure of yourself, and how to stand up to these bullies, regardless of what your body size was.
1: hmm so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you can get bullied at any size body. You can get um, shamed for any size body. And so it is so important that we teach our kids how to be independent and how to stand up for themselves. But even going back to what our parents do, I mean, we as parents, we're setting examples not only with our words, but with our actions. And so I think that's something that a lot of us moms forget is A lot of moms that i talk to are like well i don't say anything negative about fat people but i look in the mirror and call myself fat and talk about how bad that is or i you know pinch at my stomach in front of my kids or i drink um, a smoothie instead of eating food because I need to eat low calorie or low fat. And so it's so important that not only are our, our vocal messages to our kids um, are positive, but also they're watching our, our moves all the time. And so we just have to be so cautious as parents. And yeah, it's like we can't blame our parents for everything, but we can absolutely see like Oh, this is definitely stemmed from something that my mom or dad did consistently and kind of Mm -hmm. putting two and two together and moving on. And I think all of our parents have done things like whether it's the clean your plate mentality or saying something negative about somebody in a bigger size body. And at the end of the day, I think our parents were watching out for us. They had our best interests at heart. They wanted to make sure that we were healthy. And to them, a lot of times they only see healthy as small or thin and so they worry that if you know like my brother and i for instance my brother was like very 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 underweight growing up and i was like a little bit stockier and so you know to somebody looking in they could be like why is she stocky and he's so skinny he looks ill and she you know is athletic or short and stocky like why is that and you know Luckily, I didn't get crazy messaging um, about my body specifically growing up, but it could have been very damaging and triggering had I continuously got that message over and over that something was wrong with me because I was so much bigger than my brother. Now he's
0: way bigger than me <laughs> because he's like all muscle and 6'4", but... He's like an MMA, he's, MMA fighter. Yeah. He's our personal po- bodyguard, you guys. Just let me uh-huh. you know. <laughs> yeah. But going
1: back to to the messaging um i think that the intuitive eating message can be interpreted from in so many different ways and i think it's great that there are so many dietitians out there with the same message because at the end of the day i think we all are in agreement with weight stigma and thin privilege and what intuitive eating is and that diets don't work i think we all agree with that um and our approaches and the way we talk it is so different from other dietitians and that's okay because some people are highly sensitive and they need that politically correct dietitian to kind of be tiptoeing over specific topics and things. And that's fine. Then that is the person that you need to be with Mm -hmm. Um, us three. Like we are very blunt. We are very to the point. We're not politically correct. Um, We still want the best for you. But like if, if you, if that's your personality type, then you would, you know, in with us great but at the end of the day if like if we're not your cup of tea that's fine there's so many intuitive eating dietitians and therapists out there for you like you need to do what's best for you and find the best fit for you so I don't know if you want to talk about that Melissa a little bit
2: yeah for sure um so I I know a little bit of what inspired this conversation is something that that (laughs) happened um to me a few weeks ago um you know I I am thin Um, and i had started showing my body and my face a little bit more on my instagram just as you know so people can see who i am um just to connect more with people and i got this big like backlash from other dietitians who work in the intuitive eating eating disorder space um it was not very nice um I, i had one one dietitian in particular who messaged me and her message to me was literally um something to the effect of i really hope that you start to reconsider the full body pictures on your instagram um because you can be giving people the wrong idea and, I, you know, I, I
0: took a
2: big gasp and, you know, it's it's just so ironic because I, I'm 29 years old right now and I would say it, it, has, it has taken me about 29 years to feel confident and to feel um really just confident in my body enough to be able to post a picture of my body on social media. And mm-hmm. for so long, I was so hesitant to do that because I didn't have this body positivity. I, in fact, I was the complete opposite really struggling with diet culture and hating my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the moment that I finally gained the confidence to do that, I now have this other end of the spectrum coming at me saying, you're too thin to show your body. And just, right. I just, I just thought to myself, like, how, how is that helping the mm-hmm. weight stigma conversation? So now right. we're, we're kind of right. existing in this space where it's either you're, you're um, thin and you don't get to talk about intuitive eating and loving your body or mm-hmm. you're fat and you can only be fat and, and um, be an intuitive eater and, and advocate for it. Um, and there's no space in between.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I loved I, on your Instagram story. So I'm the one I mean, I've, we wanted to have Melissa on for a long time. But after that story, for sure. And we actually have been booked up for a long time. So I we were waiting until we had space to invite her on. But after watching your stories, I just f- so resonated with that, because it can be really a toxic environment to be a dietitian, even in this space of feeling kind of living this, um, this kind of like, walk this line basically between talking to who we want to talk to and helping the people living their life every day, feeling ashamed of their body and ashamed of their food choices and really struggling to actually wanting to live their life because they're afraid that they're too big to do it or they're afraid that they will be judged for what they're eating or whatever. And those are the people we're helping, right? The people who are just like us a few years ago before we learned intuitive eating. This is who we're helping. And yet living in this space, being a dietitian in this you get shot from all different sides. You're either too big, too small, right? Like I've gotten comments for sure about being, are you sure you're a dietitian? You're kind of on the big side. Like, And then I've gotten other comments, especially like you, like, oh, you better acknowledge your thin privilege and you better da-da-da-da, like all this stuff. And it's like, hey, what I'm teaching to all people is that all bodies are worthy. All. Underline, underscore, circle, whatever, bolden the word all. That means I don't care what your weight is. I do not care. There is not like an asterisk next to that and say, well, except for people at this weight or at people at this weight or this size or whatever. It is all people, which means we need all people preaching the same message if we're only getting that message from people in larger bodies or only getting that message from people in smaller bodies you're exactly right it's not helping the conversation at all it's actually hurting it and we want to see the representation of all people embracing their body and having body positivity and i think what you said is so powerful like you are thin and you're 29 years old and it's taken you that long to get on the other side of the camera and show your entire body like body image issues is not reserved for bigger people this it is all people, even like, I mean, literally there have been interviews of supermodels, people we all strive to be when we're caught up in diet culture, have talked about their body image struggles and the reality of what that's done to their mental health. And they all have the bodies that we're all wanting and asking for, right? Like it, it is not, it is such a mental image issue. And actually, Brooke, I think you did an awesome reel the other day about like looking at photos of yourself. Can you talk a little bit more about that real on Instagram and what you kind of your message behind that?
1: Yeah, I think just something that I hear so like so often is I looked back at a picture of me from high school and oh my gosh, I was so thin back then. But then you really think back to that time in your life did you think you were thin back then? Because I remember I've done that so many times. I look back at pictures of me from high school and think, Oh my gosh, I was so skinny back then. But at the time I was so caught up in my legs are bigger than everyone else's on my team. Like everybody else is tall and skinny. And like all my friends in high school were all skinnier than me. And like, I was, I was the big friend in high school and I'm not even in a large, a larger body, but like, you know, growing up, I always felt, um, I always felt bigger and then, yeah, you could look back at pictures of you, yourself in high school and think, oh, my gosh, I was so skinny. And it's like the cycle it keeps going. And then you're in your 30s and you see pictures of you in your 20s and think, oh, my gosh, I was so skinny back then. And then you go back to that place mentally. No, I thought I was big there. And it's just like it's ongoing. And I think it is something we need to talk about is we all struggle with body image issues. We've all had our issues regardless of what size body we're in. Now there is a difference between like thin privilege and um, fat phobia. Like we did in a whole episode about that. And I think it's fine to acknowledge like we have thin privilege. Like we can go into a store and we can buy clothes. We can buy one airplane seat um, and fit in it comfortably. And other people can't and, and people who can't are definitely stigmatized. I mean, they, they are not treated as equal and that that absolutely is a problem and that is something that we should be talking about as dietitians but we also have to keep in mind dietitians in this country are primarily white thin women like that that's yeah i hope that changes but at this point like if people are getting at us and hard on us for being in normal sized bodies um i mean you have to look at the profession as a whole that's like looking at all doctors and saying like well. Only, you know, like only the fat doctors should be teaching us about heart disease, not the skinny ones. Well, if 98% of the doctors are in normal size, but like it just, I don't know, it's, it's a hard, it's a fine line. And I feel like it can definitely like a pendulum swing really, really quickly. Um, I think that being politically correct in this space is expected from all dietitians and therapists. And when we're not as politically correct as others, um, it can be a huge turnoff and, and dietitians can come at us hard and yeah, we can be, we as dietitians too, like we are typically type A personalities. And I just think that, um, people aren't in, aren't afraid in this space to get vocal at each other and tear each other down,
0: which is sad too. Well, it's and not- the truth of the matter is is you're going to offend someone in this world. If you are if you go into this world and say, "Okay, I'm not I'm going to live my life and I'm not going to offend anybody." You're not going to live a life you're not going to mm-hmm. live a life. Your body offends someone. Just showing up is going to offend somebody. Your voice mm-hmm. is going to offend somebody. Can, tell me how many podcasters get responses like this. Oh, her voice is so annoying. OK, so now I can't have a podcast because I've offended this person. You know, it's like you live your life. And it. And the other thing, too, about like thin privilege or about um, this idea of like, oh, they judge you by your body shape or size. When we say like, oh, everybody feels this way and everybody's treated poorly based on their size, everyone, the thing is, is we need to bring it down to an individual. Individualistic level because everybody has their idea of what's too big and what's too small. Everyone. There is not like, I would love to say, like, oh, diet culture demonizes anyone above size X, whatever. That's actually not true. Everyone has their different idea of what's too big to be like healthy and what's too small to be healthy, right? Like, we look at some people and say, oh, she's way too thin. She needs help. She needed it. It goes on both ends of the spectrum. And unless you fall in that middle ground, but again, Everyone, the way that they view health and size—if they—if they're even trying to connect that to those two, which you shouldn't—but when they do, has a yeah. different idea of what that is. So it's silly to think that someone's coming at you, Melissa, and saying, "Oh, you're too thin" or whatever, when someone else may be saying the exact opposite. Or especially with me, like I'm right there on that cusp that I feel like people could say go either way with me, and so it's mm-hmm. like. Everyone has their own idea. So hey, why don't we step back, talk to the people who need to hear it from us and those people speak their like idea of what they've lived their experience in life and let everyone live their life and stop getting so offended because you need to focus on your own paper or your own people that you're able to help. You can't go into the space and make everyone just like, you know, we say this all the time, if two people exercise the same way and um, ate the exact same way, their bodies would look different. That's how our voice is here on earth, right? Like that's why we're all needed. That's why we all need to speak and and teach and do what we're good at in the way that we're good at so we can actually help other people and be helped, right? Like that's, that's the goal <laughs> is to all be ourselves and be proud of who we are without obviously trying to be a jerk in the world. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, and I was just gonna say too, you know the the activist piece of this, um, I'll probably get some hate for saying this, but <laughs> <laughs> that's who I am, right? I'm just gonna put it out there. Mm-hmm. I can already feel them coming after me. Uh, the the activist part of this um, is not always necessarily something that should be even discussed with our clients. Um, The the activism portion of this, right? So we know about the disparities in the healthcare system. We know how the healthcare system is structured in a way that stigmatizes against people in larger bodies. That's all true. However, when we are helping somebody one-on-one dealing with their everyday life and their body image and, and their relationship with food, it's not always appropriate to get all activists on our client. Because number one, Mm -hmm. it's very confusing um, for for the layman. They really, Mm -hmm. it's a very, very confusing topic. Um, The activist part of this is a conversation that we should be having, that colleagues should be having, that uh, we should be having this Mm -hmm. conversation among other RDs consistently. Because Mm -hmm. what happens is when we start having these conversations, it changes the way that we provide. And it's in the way that we provide where the where the actual protest is happening. It would be one thing if, we, yes. if <laughs> it would be one thing if we all continued to, you know, if i if i used my thin body to show up on my social media and say hey um hit me up for my my green smoothie recipe to look like me that would be one thing right i'm not doing that (laughs) if i was doing that i could understand where where the vitriol was coming from but but anyway um the the activism portion of this is something that us healthcare providers need to be having and then you know, if I have a mom, right? She's, she's a, has a full-time job. She has little kids at home and she has a terrible relationship with food. She doesn't eat anything all day. She binges every night. She just doesn't know how to get up out of this cycle. When I'm counseling her, she needs real life, immediate support right now. She wants to know what foods that she, she could eat, what foods to prepare, what her shopping list should look like. Um, and then we talk about the body image as it comes up, the food issues as it comes up. It's not appropriate for me to sit down with a client one-on-one and get into all of this activism about the the disparities in our healthcare system. It it doesn't help the layman. It doesn't help our clients at all. And it, you know, it we we live right now in this age of social media where we are making posts like activists type posts and videos for likes and comments um mm-hmm. and and the activism part is important right we we raise awareness for it um it, i i equate it to like you know when when you're at a protest right you're marching down the street you have signs in your hand and you're chanting whatever it is that you're chanting that that doesn't actually change anything it's important right because we're bringing awareness but that's not where the change happens the change happens in how we talk to people and how we treat other people it happens in the day-to-day decisions that we begin to make the ways that we change the ways that we interact with our children that's where the real protest happens and that's not always necessarily something that you can shout on social media for likes and comments but when we have this polarizing activist versus non-activist it that's not a desirable um, response that or that's not a desirable reality that people want to accept. People like being loud and sometimes being loud is detrimental. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think you're exactly right, Melissa. That example of like shouting the protest, it is important. It's a part of it. It's absolutely a part of it. But the, you're right. That's not signing any different laws. You're not signing it. You're raising awareness so that other people raise awareness and start asking the right questions and start looking down the right avenues and start pointing their direction and their activities towards that and movement in that. Like That's how we change our conversations. We think and we research and we learn and then we act. And the act is actually, you're right, very quiet in a way of like how we treat each other on a day-to-day basis, what type of laws are written, whatever, however that goes. But I love, what you said of like, that's actually the protest, teaching our clients, being there for our clients, supporting our clients and doing the work with them one on one on Zoom or whatever, is actually the protest. Because what that does is in teaching them, instilling the body confidence, and really giving them the tools to make their own decisions, it becomes the protest because then they can say no to diets. Then they can make their own choices. Then they don't feel out of control around food, which means that the diet culture, diet world can't control them anymore. And that's where the change truly happens. And I'm 100% with you because I think like – It is important to have the activist conversations amongst dietitians or therapists or in that space, absolutely. But when you start pointing that at people, they get really overwhelmed, right? Like they're going to start to feel way too overwhelmed and just be like, hey, I just didn't know how to stop binging at night. That's all I'm here for. And that's where they need to start. That's where we all started. And, And I say this all the time in our membership, we've harped on this. It is not your job, listener, okay? It is not your job to change the world right now. It is your job to change your relationship with food and your body. That's what we're working on. And in the midst of healing is not the time to show other people how to heal, right? Like Brooke and I did not start this the day we started intuitive eating and we're like, hey, let us teach you. Like, no, we've been at it for years and then we can turn around and say, hey, here's where I'm at. And yes, this is always a journey, but let me show you how to get there faster than I did, right? in the midst of healing. And especially like we talked about earlier, the traumas, the big T traumas, the little T traumas, whatever that looks like for you, isn't necessarily the time to turn around and try to teach other people or educate other people because you're not even there yet. And that's okay. Be where you're at today and work through that. And I think so many of us are trying to do it all at once. And really, if our end goal, and I think all three of us agree with this, if our end goal is to completely dismantle diet culture, it's not going to happen in a day right? We need to train people and teach people and be the light in the world and show other people what it looks like to not even be affected by diet culture. Like I can continue living my life and say no to diets and not even worry about it and have body confidence and and have good choices in my body for my body alone and not listen to some influencer or feel bad when some influencer says I need to buy X, Y, or Z for $50 a month, blah, 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 blah. I can actually focus on me and my relationship to food and body and focus on that and that's where the rise up really happens because the more people that learn that the smaller and smaller diet culture has the ability to be controlled over us so i absolutely agree with that (laughs) and i think i think people just need to come back to that message and actually back to brooke what you were saying earlier is intuitive eating is an amazing philosophy and system that was produced by two dietitians very smart under a ton of research and really does work. But everyone has their ability to take intuitive eating and twist it into what they think it means. And some influencers out there, even some dietitians, therapists, whoever, have left parts out. Like Brooke and I talked about this a lot, like gentle nutrition. They just never get there. They're just like, eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, because that's easy to talk about on social media and that's who we're talking to, is the people who need to start there. But then the gentle nutrition part, like no one ever talks about or whatever. They get to pick and choose through it. And we see a lot of like toxic intuitive eater people out there or influencers using these buzz terms like food freedom who don't actually know what they're talking about, like the Jillian Michaels episode we just did, and they're trying to still sell you something that's actually quite harmful. And it can be a pretty toxic environment. And to see people say, lose weight while using intuitive eating, right there, that should be enough for you to say, okay, run away. This is not true intuitive eating. But it's getting meshed in with diet culture, wouldn't you say?
1: Well, I think what, going back to Melissa's point too, that she just um, talked about very briefly was... If she was on social media showing her entire body, yes, she's in a smaller body, and was like, I got this body from eating 1,200 calories a day, you can do it too, or I got this body for drinking this green smoothie every day, here's the link in my bio, buy it, or here are the supplements I use to stay at my current weight. Like that is 100% wrong and that is um, what what we see a lot on social media from fitness influencers and um, from women on Instagram who are trying to sell stuff and that that hundred percent is such an issue but the hard thing and what Melissa was saying is is on social media like people connect with us and our message and the hard thing is if we only do captions and um, graphics and that's all our social media feed is like they're not necessarily connecting with us as a healthcare provider and that's a problem. And so that is a reason why we're putting our faces and why we're on um, stories showing our faces is our message. Like we could all say the same thing in a very different way and people are going to resonate with each of us differently. Mm, And that's great. You've got to find your people. And so like you have to put your face on social media because if you don't, as a provider, people don't know, they don't know you, they don't know your message. And then they get on a discovery call and they're like, Whoa, I didn't know you were like this. And it's like, you want to be as transparent with people as possible so that if they're going to coach with you, if you're going to, they're going to join your membership, they know your messaging and they resonate with it. And so I do think like, I don't think that there is an issue with you showing your face and your body on social media because you're not doing it um, in a way that is negatively impacting clients. And I Mm -hmm. think again, like for sure people use that to their advantage. And that is something that we are trying to dismantle and, and warn our clients like, Hey, just, you know, if you see people on, on the media telling you that, you know, they drink the skinny tea detox and they lost 50 pounds and that's why they have a flat tummy, like be aware and run. Um, but I do think it is important to show your face. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: Yeah, it's painful to hear that dietitians have attacked you over something like that because I think yeah. and that's that's what we just talked about is we need to have be having these conversations amongst dietitians and not throwing stones when we have no idea. Like we we don't know, you know, how long has she really been following you or paying attention to your message, you know? Has she gone through your training? Probably not. So, it's all relative and we all need to like ki- kind of keep our eyes on our own paper, focus on the people we're working with, focus on us and work forward. Now, okay, Melissa, I want to get to a few tangible tips that we can give our listeners who are here, who are maybe new to the intuitive eating space, aren't quite understanding it. And maybe we've like scared them off a little bit. So if you're, if you're a little scared, come back to us, come back to us. Um, we are here to help you guys. And this is the thing is as providers and as dietitians, our focus will always be our clients and helping them get to a place of food freedom and feeling super confident so that they can pass it on to other people in their life, right? So Melissa, with the clients you work with, what are some of the first few things that you work on them with um, mindset-wise or food-wise? What does that kind of look like? Walk us through maybe just one or two tips for our listeners to take home with them today.
2: Yeah, for sure. So so the first thing that I, I do with people is I really focus on normalizing just eating throughout the day. What does a full breakfast, a full lunch, a full dinner and snacks look like and getting into the habit of keeping that food in the house, keeping it in the house sufficiently and adequately. If you have like one of those food apps where you order your groceries, put it on repeat um, and getting used to building breakfasts and lunch and and dinner and snacks with proteins, carbohydrates and fats, Um, not missing any of those nutrients just to serve to, to normalize um, those foods, eating them throughout the day. Love that. Uh, I always say like, remember when, like when we, you were in elementary school and you woke up in the morning, you had frozen pancakes and then you went to school and you had a sandwich for lunch and then you came home and had a whole bunch of snacks and then had a bowl of pasta for dinner. You were right. eating carbohydrates throughout the entire day and you never even thought twice about it. Mm-hmm. Right? You and You were energy. so happy. It what, right?
1: Well, it gave you energy throughout the day. Totally. <laughs> to right. run that recess, like, right. <laughs>
2: energy all of that good stuff you never even thought about it and you know now you know let's take a look at what you're eating if it's missing those nutrients especially it's always typically carbohydrates um and you know on my taken form you put that on a scale of one to ten your energy level is a four um it's a you know, the, the diagnosis and and the prescription is, is pretty clear, you know, let's, let's start normalizing these foods again. Um, so the first step of the intuitive eating journey is, you know, as you know, to reject the diet mentality and honor your hunger. Those are the first two steps, but that translates to normalizing these forbidden foods that once were, and once Once we can't really get deep down into the the nitty gritty stuff of of the psychology and the emotions behind it until we start eating these foods again, Um, so that's the first thing. Um, Get just start eating. Eat throughout the entire day. <laughs> yeah. The whole day. Well,
0: I love that too, because it fights that food scarcity mindset that we can have of like, mm-hmm. oh, I, you know, I have to eat dinner tonight and I have to eat this like snack after dinner because I can't eat first thing in the morning or I won't have breakfast or I don't, you know, I love that because it really does fight that kind of mindset of that food isn't available or you can't be eating at certain times of the day. This is normalizing um, the schedule of eating and knowing that it's enough throughout the day and not just in the second half of the day so that's excellent and sorry go ahead with more
2: the second thing that i would say is with regards to the social media influencers um promoting super low calories and just that with regards to the bombardment of of advertisements that we get on our social media feeds with the the body types and the intermittent fasting and keto and this pill and that pill if something is is making you feel like like you wish that you were in a smaller body or like you need to do that thing or follow this person to change the shape of your body, you know, right, it's not sitting right. So start taking note of all of these things that are coming up. And this is really, really useful and important in in refining um, or I should say, getting more in touch with, with those emotions that are buried deep down. And also just getting in touch with your body more so uh, with regards to intuitive eating and feeling that hunger and fullness, all of that is part of the process. So, um, you know, like Brooke was saying before, there's influencers out there promoting 1200 calorie diets. If you're coming across those pages and it's make, it's pulling you in a direction to do it, to become smaller, it's probably a good page or person to unfollow Mm -hmm. or, or an ad to mute.
0: Absolutely. And I think yeah. this goes with everything diet culture as well, but also what we've been talking about all along. If you even are following an intuitive eating dietitian who is preaching the quote-unquote right thing, but it doesn't sit right with you and you don't resonate well with them and you don't feel like it's what you're struggling with and it's not helping you, it's okay to unfollow them too. Like anyone mm-hmm. in your life, anyone, anything that you're consuming, that is 100% your choice to consume or not to consume. And just to like, let you in on what's going on is marketing is very real. And a lot of times it doesn't feel like marketing, but people are selling you to stay, selling you to watch their stories, continuing to like um, uh, tease you with more information or discounts or sales or da, da 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 da. All this stuff is coming at us all the time. So it might feel like almost like life threatening or like I have to, you don't have to you don't even have to turn on Instagram. You don't have to turn on your phone. I watched a vlog the other day that someone was in a country that they didn't even have internet. And I was like, well, that kind of sounds nice maybe I'll visit it. <laughs> so just a reminder for all people out there. Yes. Filter your content, filter your content. I go through once a week, minimum and delete or mute or whatever. Some accounts or people on, on social media specifically that just make me feel icky. I don't know how else to say it. (laughs) It's just, it can make you feel icky about yourself. And I think that's really, really an excellent place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, Melissa, any last words you want to leave us with and um, let us know before we let you go, but let us know also where uh, people can find you if they want to work with you, what's going on over in your neck of the woods over there at Single Mom Nutritionist. Let us know.
2: Yes. I just want to say, if you have been thinking about doing the intuitive eating journey, but you're still kind of on the fence, playing with another diet, um, not quite ready to take the leap, if you need a sign, consider this the sign. Just do it. Just try it. How, I mean, think how many times do you want to bang your head up against the wall and try a new diet and a new diet and do the same thing over and over and over again? Um, Intuitive, I know it's like, in the health and wellness space you always hear oh this is different this is really different <laughs> like, intuitive eating yeah. is it's actually different yeah. <laughs> it's not key it's like keto and intermittent fasting and paleo and whole 30 and weight watchers all of those things are just it's like gatorade right there's a whole bunch of different flavors but at the end of the day they're all gatorade right intuitive eating is a totally different beverage there's no <laughs> it's really really different so if you've been, you know, I, I don't know, on the fence, consider this your sign to just do it, jump two feet in, you will not be sorry. Um, and again, you can find me at single.mom.nutritionist.
0: Awesome. And you're accepting one on one clients. And is your group program still open or are doors closed on that?
2: That one's closed, but I will be opening up another one in a few weeks. Um, I'll start putting that out there. So yeah, for one-on-one or for group, you can come on over and join me if you want some tough love. <laughs> awesome.
0: Yeah, that tough love approach, that real, I mean, I loved, you said something on your Instagram the other day that you were like, we get right to it right at the beginning. Like we're not messing around. We're not like tiptoeing up to it weeks after weeks. And honestly, it's kind of like, in my opinion, as a type A, type eight on the Enneagram, like, yes, like don't waste my time. Let's get to it so I can like get going on this intuitive eating journey and work through it in three to six months or whatever, you know? And Brooke and I always talk about how intuitive eating is a journey, you guys. It's never over, but yes. it is really and that's something you won't hear from other diets. <laughs> They're always like, oh, just mm-hmm. do it and it'll be fine. Just do like it for three days ignore yes. what happens
1: day 31 and on
0: that's yeah. not our problem and then come back to us <laughs> and then come back to us when that yes. fills it will. exactly oh and intuitive God. eating truly is like hey once you learn this this is the only thing you're going to need and you're not going to have to continue buying things or paying for things or whatever so mm-hmm. and um i loved what you said consider this your sign melissa is super into like signs and like the <laughs> um oh I, astrology right
2: Yes, oh, I, do. I love it. I, I'm no, I'm no astrologer, so don't follow me for astrology. But I'll have a, a conversation with you about it because I do love it. I, I love enjoy
0: it. listening to it because I don't get that information anywhere else, and I'm always like, oh,
2: <laughs> what did you have to say?
0: Ah, oh, my Leo brain. But all right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. And uh, we'll link everything. Yeah, we'll link everything Mm -hmm. below in the show notes so you can hook up with her there. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. See you later. See you later.